creator who hates his own creation. My name is Matthew Kroll. And what's the difference between ethics and morals anyway? My name is Shahir Dow. And this is the only podcast about movies. 200th episode! So, so, so. Happy birthday, so, Matt. So. Happy birthday, Shahir! Is it a happy. No, well, hang on. Wouldn't technically 52 episodes. Every 52 episodes. Happy 200th episode, Shahir! Yeah, happy 200th episode. We made it. We, we finally did it. We did it. We've is, been doing we, this since 2015, 2014, late. I, I can't remember. I don't know. Mad Max Fury Road. That's all I remember. When did that come out? 2015? I, I have no, the files. 14. I have the files on the computer. I was going through. I was trying to consolidate some things because we have nearly a terabyte of our voices wow. on my system. Which means there's a terabyte of our voices out in the world talking about movies. It's a and... little bit compressed because, you know, obviously MP3s. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, we have, we have over... <laughs> God. I got to ask you a question. What do you... What, what's... And I'm not sure I have an answer to this one right now as well, so I'm putting you on the spot. Okay. What has been your favorite part about doing the podcast? You know, okay, two-part answer, Yeah. uh, but kind of from the same, cut from the same cloth, um, has been, uh, I have become, and I don't know if this is, uh, maybe this is true of you uh, as well, but in my circle of friends and acquaintances, actually more acquaintances, honestly, uh, it becomes a talking point. The podcast becomes a talking point, and everyone seemingly that has ever come into my periphery or my orbit even for a second asks how the podcast going say they listened to whatever episode they loved this and have i seen this this and this oh and by the way what do i think of that okay and it's been it's been really really interesting because not only is that a great topic that i love discussing yeah uh but I am never without small talk at a party. Like, <laughs> and people bring it to me. Right. I don't even have to do any work. You're we, internet. You're you're party famous. I'm 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 in he's, my he's own that, circle. Party famous. He's that guy that podcast. Yeah, yeah. He's yeah. that guy with that podcast. No, yeah. they just, I mean they see my social posts and everything. And and that sort of tertiary <laughs> thing to that is honestly interacting with uh, all y'all on the other end of this microphone. Uh, I think it's amazing that we get we we have like regulars we talk to. Yeah, yeah. And that 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 uh, that challenge our beliefs and sometimes we realize after we read some emails or tweets where we're like huh yeah i guess we we didn't think of that one (laughs) (laughs) yeah no that's been it has been really gratifying to have like the podcast go out into the world and have it you know have people come back to us yeah i think for me i I was just trying to think about it again you know off the top of my dome the 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 things that i really liked are the thing that i liked really recently that we did was the before trilogy and I like yes. that because that was like, you know, like three couples coming on to discuss three movies from three different point of views. It, all, it tied together very nicely. And it was and it was all like um, and and there's no singular opinion of those films that like that that prevailed through that. Like everyone had a different opinion yes. about those movies. Yep. And I think for me, what's what I enjoy is when we really get into the film. There's no singular kind of um, clear thought about whether we like something, whether we dislike something, why we like something, why we dislike something. It is, um, I think, to to paraphrase one of our listeners, um, uh, a fractally, exponent- an exponentially fractally growing conversation. Sure, sure, and sure, I, sure. And I think I also like sometimes that, that we bring back things from other episodes. Oh, yeah. That we haven't thought about in a while. 100%, 100%. And to that point, this 200th episode is going to be a special one. This is one we've been talking about for so, so long. It's, it's been, yeah, it is almost as long as we've been saying we'll finish our requests. Yeah. 
Which we still have one to do. Which we still have one to do. <laughs> and we still have another uh, another special episode that we promised we would do that I remember one of our listeners writing us like a whole, you know, like structure for that episode. Right. Uh, violence in cinema. Yep. So this is an episode called Separating Art from the Artist. And it's, a, it's one that I've been um, thinking about a lot um, in, in relation to what's been happening in the world and how we interact with movies. Because I think the one thing about our podcast is, as we've always said, it's not a review show, it's a discussion show. Yes. And... And how we, and for me, you know, again, uh, cinema is life, and and movies are are kind of part of the fabric of who I am. So thinking about how I interact with movies and how I interact with artists, because I often talk, you know, I I often talk about the director and the people behind the film uh-huh. in relation to the film. So I think this is going to be an interesting one uh, for me to hopefully expand on. Uh, the thought process that goes into how we choose a movie. Exactly. And if you out there would like to expand our own thought processes after you listen to this discussion about the art versus the artist, can they be separated or the exact same thing? We don't know yet. We're going to get into it. But before that, write us in. Let us know what you think about this topic. Onlymoviepodcast at gmail.com or onlymoviepod on Twitter. You can also hit us up on Facebook. Uh, and, and yeah, you know, iTunes, always leave the stars. You can, you can, you can try to separate our art from us via a convenient one to five star rating. Yeah, I wonder if you can if you can actually contextualize the podcast without thinking about us, Ooh. which is uh, which is almost impossible because we are the direct voices in this podcast. Wait, there's not a lot else to grab onto yeah. if, in an audio format other than the two voices and no music. Um, and and to to compound that, I think we should we should maybe talk about the starting why this conversation started out between you and I. Sure. So the reason this episode came about was because of a couple of films that we had on our slate that we started to having to think about in terms of who the people behind it were. Yes. Uh, the first of that was Ready Player One, which if you look at our back catalog as a film we didn't review uh, for a very specific reason. And Matt, do you want to uh, elaborate what that reason was? Uh, basically, Ernest Klein had some, well, other than the narrative itself being a little bit problematic for me in a lot of different ways, he had some stuff on his website that I didn't quite agree with. And we'll get into a little bit more okay. of that when we get into with our guests. Okay. But and then it, we had that go into what we just did a couple weeks ago. Bohemian Rhapsody, yeah. which obviously has a problematic author behind it, uh, Brian Ryan Singer, uh, and we talked a little bit about how uh, we negotiated that line, and I think, and I think for me, the line is interesting because it's malleable, it's not fixed, and it's 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 a. a I think our approach is problematic, and so that's why I wanted to have a discussion about it. Uh, I don't know if I think our approach is problematic, but I'm not the judge of that. Okay. Uh, I think we need we need to bring on some folks that know about problematic stuff and and in questioning in questioning what it not only what is problematic but how to discuss things that are indeed problematic and so there's no better people than your fave is problematic oh, which i am so good and so happy to have <laughs> so uh elizabeth and Kristen joining us from your fave is problematic because this is exactly what their podcast is about uh, in, in their own words, ruining the shit that you love. They are an absolute delight and so fun to listen to. So please uh, listen to them in literally two minutes, but also uh, check out their podcast as well. Your favorite is problematic. And uh, without further ado, I think we should move on to this conversation. Now, before uh, we get into this conversation, uh, I want to point out to our listeners that uh, some of the material that we'll be covering in this episode is, uh, I would say, triggering or uh, problematic for you, the, could be problematic for you, the listener. Uh, and we hope that we don't cause any offense by any of the conversations that we're about to have. Uh, if uh, I, I guess this goes without saying, but our uh, uh, our goal here is to discuss our relationship to a work of art. 
and whether the artist should figure into that role. And, and I think one thing I want to point out that with that in mind is that if at any point we endorse uh, a work of art from a person who may have done terrible things, we don't want to have it interpreted that we are endorsing that terrible thing. Um, you know, like crimes are crimes, people have done terrible things, and we want to make sure that in no way do we ever... Uh, are we ever apologizing for those things? And I think we'll make that very clear as we're as we're moving on. But yes, I I agree with that. Uh, yeah, sh- shall we get this rolling? Uh, let's uh, let's do a Skype call. Beep bop boop beep beep. Oh, that's is that not how Skype sounds? No, that's not. Wait how Skype for sounds. it, and there we go. We are joined by Elizabeth and Kristen from Your Favorite is Problematic, who do this on a weekly basis. As as I recall from. Uh, your tagline, it is you ruin shit for everyone. Is that what it is? Or uh, we <laughs> it's very close. We ruin yeah, your we, favorite shit, right? Yeah, we, we like to joke we ruin your favorite things, which is only true maybe half of the time, actually. <laughs> I, I will, yeah, I will say this. To be fair, this. we're ruining our favorite things as well. So but that's also yeah. true. <laughs> I will say this. You you two have not ruined anything uh, for me. I've loved going through your back catalog and 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 especially going through your back catalog of things I love to see how you guys felt about it. So you have many episodes devoted to, to things I love, uh, such as The Shining. Uh, Louis C.K. is one of the most problematic ones that I have uh, wrestled with in the last year, and it was really inter- interesting to to hear your take on it, and it was actually very helpful for me. Uh, Dave Chappelle, and you even have an episode on porn that you did recently, which I thought was really uh, a lot of fun. Yeah, the porn episode was actually, I think, one of my favorites we've done. <laughs> it was really interesting. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and we saw like no dicks while we were researching for it. It was really <laughs> Which surprising. <is> astonishing. <laughs> wow, I, that's, just, that's... I was so afraid of the research for that episode. <laughs> I just knew I was going to be traumatized, and and oddly somehow no. Um, yeah, actually, it was less traumatizing <laughs> than a lot of the ones that we have done research. Absolutely, for. yeah. That had nothing to do with sex. Well, thank you so much for for coming on with us. I too have been deep diving into the the back catalog. I purposely uh, looked for episodes like Shahir sort of said that like things I love. Uh, this to sort of see wh- what what I've missed, <laughs> sort of as to uh, what its creation or things that it does. Uh, I, in particular, I um, it's funny, it's so funny. Your How I Met Your Mother one, which came up in a couple episodes, but then you did the actual episode because uh, I do agree uh, that Ted Mosby is the worst, a hundred percent. Uh, but that one really got me. And then uh, Scott Pilgrim is one of my favorite films. And obviously, I, I recognize that there were some some definite issues throughout that film. But it was <laughs> super fun. Like, you definitely caught a few. that now I'm like, oh, yeah. Uh, so, no, it's, it's absolutely fantastic. So you are the absolute perfect people for this conversation. So thank you so much once again for being here. Yeah, of course. Very happy to do so. Thanks for having us on. A quick, quick couple of questions. How did your podcast come about? Like, what was the, the driving force to, to get together on a weekly basis to discuss problematic art? Uh, I guess this is, I always take this question, don't I, Kristen? Yes, um, <laughs> yes you do. Uh, the, we like to joke that our podcast is just more sober, better researched versions of co- conversations Kristen and I were already having. Okay. Uh, Kristen and I lived together until about three months ago, and we had a lot of conversations around our kitchen table where, you know, like someone would be trending in the news as having said something problematic or done something. And, you know, we kind of just sit around and like look at the greater context of like what they're actually and their words were in and we kind of found that people were really willing to throw people under the bus without 
doing kind of a deep dive because, you know, context matters. Context is important. And sometimes those people deserve to be thrown under the bus. But, (laughs) you know, also sometimes when you you dig a little deeper, it's not quite what it looks like. But, you know, the the Twitter outrage machine is is pretty uh, willing to just cancel someone at the drop of a hat. Right. Uh, And so I think we were drunk at a winery and I told Kristen (laughs) we were going to do this podcast. And uh, we just, just we sat down to do it and we haven't stopped for some reason. <laughs> um, but, you know, when we started doing it, we couldn't really find anyone who was kind of parsing through media in, in this way. Like we kind of saw a need for uh, for a podcast like this or, you know, someone doing critical analyses of of our pop culture. So it just it, I don't know. It just seemed right. <laughs> yeah. No, it 100 percent is. Yeah. And I think the other part of that, you know, too, is I think that, you know, everyone is kind of like learning and doing better. And, you know, like we use the term woke on our podcast, which maybe may or may not be played out, but that's fine. Um, (laughs) And I think part of it was um, just as we continued to like learn and grow as people when we were interacting with a lot of the stuff that we, you know, used to really have a lot of affection for, like, you know, certain lines just don't hit your ear the same way as they used to, or you might feel more, you know, uncomfortable watching your favorite television show or listening to your favorite artist when, you know, you, when you're better educated. So I think that was the other part of it too, It's just, it was kind of cathartic for us to go back and like, talk through those feelings that we were having when we were rewatching and, and re-listening to things that we loved. So with that in mind, what's what now that you've been doing the podcast for a while, what's changed, do you think, uh, for you in terms of discussing problematic artists? Like, how is that conversation? Because it is, it feels like it's a, despite you guys being episodic and talking about individual things, it feels like it's an ongoing singular conversation that everyone's having about their favorite art. I, I wonder how that conversation has been evolving for you. Uh, well, I think the biggest thing for me is I kind of, I joke sometimes I can't enjoy anything anymore because <laughs> uh, I, I always am watching things with a critical I know, which is great because that means I'm always taking notes on what we should cover on the podcast. But like, uh, you know, I think before the podcast, I was more able to kind of shut off my brain uh, and just like gloss over some of the problematic elements of stuff I loved. And uh, I am increasingly less able to do that anymore. Um, And I think I've just learned a, a lot on issues that maybe I... Uh, don't experience firsthand. Mm -hmm. Uh, We have a really wonderful community that has kind of grown up around our podcast and they're great at keeping us honest. So Mm -hmm. they're the first ones, like if we say something that is maybe incorrect, uh, they'll, they'll, you know, very kindly call us out on it. And I think I know I've learned a lot about, you know, issues um, that I don't, you know, that like don't affect me. Like uh, I've learned a lot about trans issues since Mm -hmm. we started doing the podcast by nature of having conversations with Kristen every week. I've learned a lot about like the racism people of color experience in the U S that I don't experience because I'm a white woman. So I think it's, you know, you, you learn by talking about this kind of stuff, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, and I I wonder as well, like from that point of view as well, what has been the hardest thing to, I guess either give up or 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 think about differently than than you would have thought about it when you weren't doing the podcast. So like, Ooh. I guess what is what is your most problematic phase? <laughs> what is your most? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's a tough one. That is a tough one. I can. Oh boy. We can give you ours. We can give you ours if you want. If you want us first. to start off. 
Yeah, sure. I, I'm interested. Do. Yeah. Okay, so I, I when and we'll get into this a little more. When we like real deep dive into the topic, but a lot of the time when I find out that an artist or a, a filmmaker or somebody is just a, a, a sack of flaming garbage or just has something that is, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, that has tainted the work, uh, I will not. I not only won't I engage with that piece anymore, but I don't like mourn the act of not engaging with it. If that makes sense. Uh, the one that it even bothers me that I mourn the fact that I don't, I will not engage with it anymore, and I cannot enjoy any of the previous works is weirdly Kevin Spacey. Uh, oh yeah, oh. no, that was a rough one. I, like I it was I, yeah. I've always enjoyed I've always enjoyed the work, but now everything about it is just just destroyed, and I find myself being like just like disappointed for lack of a better term in in disappointed myself for being disappointed if, if that really yeah. makes any sense no i i totally get what you're saying yeah and for for me uh i sort of uh the way i kind of thought about this was i took a tertiary glance kind of across uh my my the media i have in my home my blu-rays and and that sort of thing and the ones that kind of jumped out at me as things that i love but i am acknowledge as problematic uh, were my Roman Polanski <laughs> Roman Polanski DVDs, uh, yeah, <laughs> and and in particular, and then a few of my Brian Singer DVDs. So the Usual Suspects is one that I you know like uh, am thinking about a lot. I haven't cracked it open in a long time, but but Roman Polanski and and Brian Singer are two people, I guess, uh, because I'm a filmmaker and you know I'm a director, so the, the, their work is was highly influential in in my start in the filmmaking industry. Um, and I, I guess I have a slightly, um, I'm going to call it nuance, but maybe it's not, maybe it's naive instead. Um, but I have a, I, I would like to think a nuanced, uh, appreciation for how to think about those two, those two artists in particular, but there's a lot, um, the, I was very happy to receive, uh, a Blu-ray of Michael Jackson's Moonwalker recently, and I'm now <laughs> looking at the news <laughs> about the Sundance premiere of the documentary about Michael Jackson kind of mm and ah In fact, we had a dinner party recently where I was going to play that. Uh, Matt and I had a dinner oh, party yeah, with some friends right. where I was going to play that, and I'm, <laughs> I'm suddenly realizing that that might have been entirely inappropriate now. <laughs> um, well, then, there's also, then there's also the question, too, of just sort of like when you find out what. Yeah. But, yeah. And so mm-hmm. I'm curious, I've, did, did, you know, like, what was, was there anything that was particularly challenging in the episodes that you've done uh, in terms of just like, ah, oh, but I love this thing? Ooh, that's a good question. I'm scrolling through everything right now because we've covered so many things, <laughs> I feel like. We have. I think that for me, it tends to be more difficult. Like, it's easier for me to be, like, critical of, like, a piece of media, like a song or a movie mm-hmm. or a television show. I tend to – it tends to be really hard when it's a person. Right. Um, so, like, to just, like, to be straight up honest with you, the hardest one, I think, for me was probably Hillary Clinton. Right. Um, mm, yeah. Because we – I mean, it was really important for us to, like that's, – that's the thing we did the most research on, I think, is when we did our episodes on Hillary and Bernie. It was, like, you, you have to be honest and you have to, like, really, like, hold people accountable even though you may have a lot of respect for them. Uh, and what they do yeah. I, is, and actually, I now that you, you know, now that I mentioned that, I think that like my supreme problematic fave is probably Barack Obama. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I, I don't know. And we talked about this a little bit earlier this week too, Liz and I. 
um, about like the difference in how we approach those things if an artist is still alive versus if like they right. are someone who, mm. um, you know, has been dead for a while. Um, I was also talking with my boyfriend about, you know, how we kind of grapple with like H.P. Lovecraft and like how he created this like, you yeah. know, basically created modern horror. And so like that's a really incredible thing that's kind of sparked a lot of really incredible work. But like what do we do with that person and like what do we do? With, like, do we just say, you know, everything that he did was not worthwhile because he was a raging racist yeah, and that's racist, in his work? Yeah. <laughs> you know, so it's, I mean, it's always tough, I think, with people for me. Like, you know, art, I can kind of, like, I can kind of divorce, like, the problematic actor and the problematic director most of the times from, like, is this piece of art worthwhile? Mm. Um but yeah, I don't know. It's, you know, there, there's nuance. That's why we have this podcast is because yeah. we have to talk through all those things. <laughs> so I'll tell you a little bit about where this conversation started for us, which was that uh, we had two movies that we were, uh, that we kind of, I guess, wrestled with for different reasons. And a couple uh, years apart. Well, about uh, a year apart. About a year apart. Yeah. But the first one was uh, uh, Ready Player One, uh, directed by Steven Spielberg and written by one Ernest Klein. Uh, and uh, one of us had uh, an objection to doing that film. It and was me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, and the, and then uh, the the sort of the most recent one ver, uh, version of that question was us uh, basically asking, were we consistent with our rationale if we chose to do Bohemian Rhapsody by Brian Singer, which we did, which we did. So in, in essence, we've kind of we've we've you know one half dozen or the other kind yeah. of we put one foot in either in either category, and I think that was sort of an interesting reason for us to have this conversation because I think what happens is if you're a consumer of art, you're kind of your 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 the the lines of rationality that you have aren't always consistent because it's driven by your emotions at the time and we're curious you know i guess in terms of it sounds like you don't have this issue but i wonder what you think about that issue about like um how to deal with you know something you love and being okay with it and something you don't love and being able to throw it out you know, I think we do deal with this issue, though, because, you know, we we render verdicts right. on the topics at the end of each episode. Mm -hmm. And that is like purely our opinion and where we're at. It's not like a definitive statement. Like we're not saying this is how everyone should feel about this piece of media or this person. Exactly. It's, this is where I personally am on this. And man, the number of times water both of us have been like, oh, man. There's so much going on here, but like, I still really love it. And a lot of the times that's attached to nostalgia. Right. Um, yep. That I think is most frequently when we're like, oh, I have so much nostalgia for this, but like, boy, I got to toss it in the trash. And, you know, like it's a lot of, um, a lot of grappling with that, I think. And I, you know, like, I don't know that we have all the answers, but I think, I think it's just good to be conscious of those things, right? Um, like, we, we always like to say that if we only consumed 100% woke media, I would enjoy no movies, <laughs> I would listen to no music, <laughs> I would not, I would not get to consume anything because everything be is yeah. yeah everything is problematic in some form or fashion but it is kind of a matter of figuring out like where your values align and how do you want to parse uh the problematic aspects of something right yeah well and the hope is that like if you pr if you develop this skill right like if you develop the skill of like you know thinking through these things critically and holding people who are currently making this media accountable that like we eventually will like move the needle towards you know like creating a landscape where there's less problematic media that you have to interact with. Um, and so, yeah, no, I, I agree with you, Liz. It's, it's very much a, I think kind of like, 
uh, nostalgia figures into it a lot. Definitely. A lot. <laughs> so <laughs> much for us. But it's also like we don't we don't have the answers, you know, like we're just we're just people working through it, too. And so, like, it's entirely possible that just because of our different life experiences that like something that like both Liz and I can recognize as problematic, she might be fine with. And I just cannot like I just can't tolerate. And it's not even necessarily that one of us is like definitively right or wrong. It's just did we both go through this process and like, and now I know like kind of where my boundaries are and like what it is that I feel compelled to like talk more about or hold people accountable about. And, and yeah, and it's going to, it's going to differ for everyone. We like to say that like, we're by no means the end of the conversation. Like we want to begin the conversation. Right. Gotcha. Yeah. And I think that's a hundred percent sort of like, that's so valuable in my opinion to be the start as opposed to the, cause like, the, like you guys said, this is, it's all personal. And it's all going to tie in with whatever life experiences that you've had. Uh, One of the reasons, um, just sort of getting into where this started with us, with Ready Player One and Ernest Klein. Um, uh, I know we just just met over the interweb uh, right now. (laughs) But uh, if you had to sort of break down Shahir and I's a bit of a personality, Shahir is more of a a classic film um, uh, savant, I guess you'd say. Uh, He knows a lot of of (laughs) film theory and film history. We both work in the industry, but I am more of the... um, uh, you know, a little bit more pop culture definitely more superhero, nerdy, nonsense stuff like that. Um, so when Ready Player One came out, and I was the one that said, no, I will not pay money to talk about this thing, uh, <laughs> Shahir was very, I feel, taken aback. I was, I was, uh, uh, I was definitely very surprised by that. Um, and it, explain. So, so yeah. basically, uh, how familiar are you both with the Ernest, with Ernest Klein, the author of Ready Player One, if at all? Uh- I am not at all, actually. I've read Ready Player One, and I've seen it, but I don't know anything about Ernest Klein, the the man himself. Right. Uh, I don't either. Okay. Yeah. So basically, Ernest Klein was the author. I believe it came out in 2011, the book did. Um, and back then, or around then anyway, I read it, and uh, I really, really liked it. I didn't really think much about it, but then like right when it came out, there was a lot of like, this is so amazing. It's like, did it like, and all it is is exactly what you both said. It's a nostalgia bomb. And it tricks your brain into feeling all the happy feelings and just sort of yeah. going through, like, you're like, this is yep, me! It, it does. Uh, for, <laughs> particularly for uh, cis white nerdy dudes. Um, but the, the then, at, you know, the, when Steven Spielberg was announced that he was going to be doing the, the film later on and um, blah, blah, blah. But as that sort of happened, uh, I sort of read more. I, I tried reading it again, first and foremost, maybe around 20 or 2015. And I was trying to read it, and I'm like, ugh. Like, a, a lot of the stuff that I loved, even, f- like, four years prior, just felt yucky, for lack of a better uh, yeah. term. <laughs> and then, even beyond that, I started to do a little bit of research into Ernest Cline. And even when this film was coming out, um, on Ernest Cline's website, this is after he's been vetted and the rights are to Steven Spielberg, and the movie is in production, it's coming out in a couple weeks. Ernest Klein still had a book of poetry literally called, and I shit you not, The Importance of Being Earnest, uh, available on his website. Oh, wow. Uh, not only, I won't even speak to the quality of the poetry. It is bad. That's not the point. Uh, but it was some of the most misogynistic swill that I had ever read. And you'll start reading like a poem. You'll be like, this be, won't be that bad other than the structure and the, and the prose and everything. Uh, and then you get to the middle and you're like, this is a vile human being who has no idea how people work. And then at that point, I was like, this isn't something like they didn't even try to like 
clean him up or hide this. Or This is a Steven Spielberg film that's coming out that's supposed to be a, a blockbuster. And the the person who's at the creative core of this piece of whatever it is is still hawking an agenda that is disgusting. Mm-hmm. And at that point, I kind of drew a, and I very rarely drew this, I drew a kind of a hard line in the sand being like, I will not financially support something that is so corely based in, in a thing that I disagree with. Uh, and Shahir made the very apt argument about sort of that kind of taking away from like our role as either critics or people discussing something, uh, et cetera. And even I think if I had, uh, if, if I had known about your podcast back, back then, uh, <laughs> I would have just tuned right in and be like, how do I handle this? Uh, <laughs> but so that's sort of how it came to me first. Um, and okay, so uh, and I and apologize that you have to listen to us air our dirty, dirty laundry on this episode. Uh, <laughs> oh, no worries, but, it's, uh, it's going to happen. But I hope you can uh, interject. Uh, feel free to interject yeah, at any point. Um, I think my my issue there is yes, I and I I read the poem. Uh, I think it's called Nerd Porn or Terror. Oh yes, um, it is a uh, you know, and I'll say it outright. It's a very very bad poem. Uh, and I also think Ready Player One is a very, very bad movie. Um, but I think uh, the thing I was taken aback by was the 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 hard line to not discuss it. Um, and I and I think I wanted I I thought this was an interesting point to discuss um, in terms of what this film was and why. And, and a methodology for discussing it. So again, I, I don't disagree with your revulsion of the material. Right, I don't disagree with you know if you have a problem with the material. But what I disagree, what I sort of disagreed with at the point, and I think this is where that question of whether I'm being nuanced or naive um, has to do with uh, how we interpret works of art when the art we find the artist problematic. And I think for me, the the question then became more problematic the further we went down the podcast because we then chose to do a Brian Singer movie. Now, we discussed at detail about you know, who Brian Singer was, how this might affect your reading of the film, and I think, I think that was actually really positive uh, in terms of how to read Bohemian Rhapsody. Um, but, so my issue didn't have to do with the material per se, but it has to do with exactly this topic, which is how do you separate art from the artist, should you, and, with, and whether it works or doesn't matter. Right. Um, so that's where we're coming from. Again, apologies. That's for where it. we start. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's such a tough thing. Cause it's like, you, you know, do you want to like, do you want to go and see the movie and like, if it, I mean, like, first of all, what is your job? Right. So like if, if it's your job to like critique pop culture, then like there's the argument that can be made that like, well, you know, like part of what I do is I engage with the, with, with this. And, and I think as like a person you can, you know, you can say, um, <sighs> I don't want to give this artist my money, but it's also like, I feel like I'm not being very articulate here. I think the point that I'm trying to make is that do you, this is, you know, this is a movie that's directed by Steven Spielberg. This is a huge, huge book that like the world already knows about. And so, you know, is, is your responsibility more to like go see it and talk about it? It's not like you not talking about it is not, is like going to like lower its profile. Yeah. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And so like, do you go out there and and see the movie and then go, okay, well this is what's fucked up about it and the person who made it. Uh, and, and start that conversation. Or do you say like, I'm not going to engage with this thing that could be harmful to people. And like, I'm, you know, part of my act of protest is not giving it any attention. Cause I think both are valid, but it's, it's a really tough call. And there's a weird sort of thing too with with the way I sort of as we go through this my 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 broken uh, 
uh, Mentat-esque thought process uh, will will sort of come to light. But, like, I do sort of try to put... A, and these are all emotional things, right? Like, I, I'll try to put, like, values <laughs> and percentages on things to sort of, like, <laughs> make enough sense for me to make a decision. Um, and in that particular one, while I didn't want to discuss the film itself, and I don't, I still don't know if that is the correct call, what I am glad... Uh, that it did do was it kind of brought us to talk about the entirety of the topic more as opposed to just talking about a mediocre blockbuster based off of a, a, a scummy man. Uh, <laughs> so I, I am happy about that aspect of it. So, uh, and then I think, you know, again, uh, you know, we, we have a difference of opinion about this, but, that, you know, like that doesn't stop our show or anything like that. But then... Um, I wanted to kind of, you know, really elaborate on this topic because I think it it's as you guys kind of mentioned as well, uh, me I think sort of I guess you would call them uh socially oriented public protests in the form of Me Too, Black mm -hmm. Lives Matter, those kinds of, you know, the the women's march. The, those sorts of movements have brought to our attention the relationship between problematic art and uh, and uh well, between art and problematic artists. And I think it's it is now putting critics like ourselves in interesting positions to think about how what does this topic actually mean and and how do we discuss this topic and so you know I, I obviously uh, sort of have a, uh, a critical uh, analysis background in film history um, so you know I, I went back to the, the the classics like Roland Barthes and and Michel Foucault you know who wrote very famously about the death of the author and the idea of separating the author out um, from the work um, because it is a a more sort of, um, I guess their opinion was that it was a more elegant way to examine a work on its own merits. Um, but I don't think they were, you know, th those, those, those theorists were ever really thinking about artists that had committed crimes or had, uh, that actually harmed people. I think they were talking about it more in a theoretical sense about, um, you know, what is the best way to analyze something. Like divorcing an idea from a person. Yeah, um, and uh, by the way, just as a side note, there's a fantastic podcast uh, called The Partially Examined Life, uh, which is a philosophy podcast that I listen to, and they have a wonderful episode that basically goes through all of those um, uh, those critics uh, and their literary theories, and it's called uh, Authorial Intent. So I just wanted to put that out there that you know we have read uh, all of these articles and thought about them. Um, but in that sense, I kind of, I think, and I, I'm going to talk about this sort of personally, thinking about a person like Roman Polanski, um, who is by all accounts an extremely problematic artist, but is one that is still making um, work today. Uh, I don't know, either you're familiar with his work or, or fans or not oh, fans? Absolutely. Or, yeah, 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 familiar. Uh, he's also one I've put in the trash, quite frankly. Put in the trash completely. Yep, yeah. yep, I'm I'm done with him. Yeah, <laughs> bit of the same. I, I mean, I think... He and I, I think it's like it's a pretty easy call to be like Roman Polanski is a horrible person and Rosemary's Baby is an excellent fucking film. Yeah, right. It, it, yeah, like, that's true. Rosemary's Baby. Do you know an what I mean? Film. Like, and I I think that both of those thoughts can live in your head at once. Like, but I think that where it gets tricky is is like, well, you know, if do we continue to consume his media? Do we continue to give him money? That's where it gets like you know to be. I think. Um, the thing that you really have to kind of hold yourself accountable about. Yeah. But like, I, I, I wouldn't throw out Rosemary's baby because Roman Polanski is a horrible human. Right. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I don't know. It's <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, like like Kristen said earlier, like a lot of the stuff I think you have to consider is like, do you want to financially support this person, right? Yeah. And something that I think has been, I think the two things that have been kind of getting turned over in my head a lot 
over the last really, really kind of like on the heels of Me Too is, um, you know, when we think about someone like Roman Polanski or Louis C.K. or, you know, Harvey Weinstein, someone who was a a serial abuser, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think I think we have to ask ourselves uh, what who who what artist that was, you know, in this case, usually a woman, um, you know, what artists were we robbed of because they were assaulted and traumatized and quit the business? Like, what are yeah. the yeah. what are the the artists who we didn't get because these men decided to, um, you know, assault them? I think the other part, like the opposite like the way that we kind of counterbalance that, right? Like if we're going to say like, well, this we've determined that this person is like irredeemable, but they've made good art is to, I mean, I think that you can like, for instance, when I watched Rosemary's Baby and when I watched Get Out, I was like, oh, this feels very much like Rosemary's Baby, right? So like the idea that like Polanski made a film or like, you know, created like an aesthetic or whatever, as far as like that type of like film or that type of horror that like that, that, that I mean, it just was influential and there's no way to deny that. And, but what you can do is you can elevate artists who typically have like been marginalized and not been elevated, who like maybe were influenced by some of like the good art that 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 horrible person created. Like you can elevate their work and you can start to put those people on. And it's almost weirdly a kind of like form of, of reparations right. a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. No, I can totally <laughs> see that. Yeah, I mean, one of the, I think one of the most, uh, we didn't review this this year, but I think one of the most uh, um, formative uh, pieces of media that I saw that kind of helped uh, think about this uh, idea was uh, Hannah Gadsby's Nanette, uh, the stand-up special, which came out this year. Yeah, yeah. And I think Hannah Gadsby has a really powerful take uh, on, you know, like, so I have a lot of theoretical ideas about um, the totality of a human being and whether the totality of that human being plays into the art that they make, which is the kind of the point I wanted to make with Roman Polanski, which is that I, you know, and don't in any way want to mitigate the terrible, terrible things that he's done. Um, but but to look at the the totality of his life and to sum it up in one in one event or one case, I think is a difficult way to, to examine it. And I don't, I don't want to suggest that that is not a correct approach, but I think that is the, the sort of, when I think about Rome Polanski and the film Repulsion, for example, which is a formative film of mine, um, this, it occurred much earlier in his life and it has a different narrative in terms of who Rome Polanski was or how we think about Rome Polanski at the time that it came out. Now, again, that's sort of taking a very sort of, microcosmic look at at the artist but i think the reason i do that is i is i believe that that no human being is is summed up entirely by one action um and and although the action that rome polanski you know that we're all you know we're all sort of not really saying at this point is that he you know raped a young girl um is 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 a certainly an absolute hard line in the sand uh, in terms of the worst things a person could do. Um, I think there is, you know, as Kristen, as you were saying, there's an interesting thought process to think about the art that that person has created as well. And not, and to me, I think the way to handle this is to not is to is to bring the context that we know and understand of that person to every discussion we bring. So from now on, every conversation about Rome Polanski has to involve that uh, that story mm-hmm. because it helps us understand where to and how to look at this artist. Um, Absolutely, yeah. You know, and and I think uh, the thing about the thing that Nanette uh, Hannah Gadsby's um, piece really illustrated to me was that while I guess it's a counterbalance to what I'm saying, which is that while I 
uh, as a critic and thinking about a person's art in relation to my response and, and my relationship to filmmaking and art and creativity and, and all those things. What Hannah Gadsby says in The Net has to do with what is the what is what happens to the victim of this person when their art exists in the world. And and I think that was a that was a point that I hadn't really uh, thought about uh, until she articulated it as powerfully as she did um, in that special. And so I wondered what you guys thought about, you know, like the, the you know, in the because I guess a lot of the times we're talking about criminality, right? We're talking about people who have done terrible, terrible things. Um, and those terrible things have uh, victims. Well, they have people who have been genuinely affected about them. So what happens when you are the victim of Roman Polanski and then he goes on to win an Oscar uh, some 15 years later for Best Director while... Uh, living um, basically outside of U.S. jurisdiction for the crime he was, you know, uh, may have been convicted for. Uh, and I'm curious what you guys, I mean, if you saw Nanette or if that sparked any part of the conversation for you. I actually haven't seen Nanette, and it's not because I didn't hear it was fantastic. It's because I am, for a person with a pop culture podcast, I am very bad at pop culture, actually. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's a running joke on the podcast that usually I haven't seen the movie until I sat down to watch it for the podcast. Um, but, you know, I think that is a question we do have to ask. Like, how are the victims of, uh, you know, these people who, you know, committed crimes and assaults and that kind of stuff against people, how are they affected when they see them kind of out in the world again and continuing to work. I think that's the big thing for me. Yeah. Is like, yeah, like Rosemary's Baby, which I admittedly forgot was by Roman Polanski because again, I'm very great at pop culture. <laughs> um, like that's a fantastic movie. And, you know, I think we can see that as valuable, but then the question becomes, why are we continuing to allow him to work? There is no, there is no genius who is a shitty person who can't be replaced by someone else, right? Yeah, like, exactly. Roman Polanski yeah. is great, but again, there are many other people, largely from marginalized communities, who maybe deserve to take that spot. Like, why do we continue to book Louis C.K. in comedy clubs? Why do we? Why did we give Roman Polanski an Oscar? Why? Are Which we is not to say that like that stuff isn't still good. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I, I. There's some of Lucy K. Stand up that I like still like makes me laugh till I cry, right? Yeah, but the difference I think is between like lauding someone and recognizing that they had like that they gave us this good artistic thing. Like there's a difference between like elevating someone and putting you know and like putting them on a pedestal and and like continuing to like give them um, awards and in, in, in instances like that versus you know, saying like, well, we can recognize that that thing that they did at that point of time was important and influential, but that doesn't mean that we have to keep employing them. And it doesn't mean like we can learn from like that good thing they gave us. And then we can elevate the people who learned from it. But we don't like, yeah. I mean, no one needs to be giving Roman Polanski money for movies anymore. And no one needs to be like releasing his, I mean, like I don't give a shit about anything else that Roman Polanski is going to make for the rest of his life. I don't fucking care, yeah. but I do like Rosemary's baby. <laughs> and I, I think, <laughs> but I, well, and I, we keep saying that like that's his only movie and obviously it's not, yeah. um, you know, um, same thing with like Ilya Kazan. I don't yeah. want to like let go of fucking Ilya Kazan films. Are you kidding me? Mm. Um, I watched a lot of them this yeah, month, actually, because the they featured yeah. him on TCM. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. Um, but yeah, so but like, no one's talking about him. Like, I, I don't know. Again, it's 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 tough because um, 
I don't know, I shouldn't say it's tough. I think that you can make the distinction between like saying that someone has done something good and we can like accept that and continuing them like to give them a platform and like to give them um, prestige and awards. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I, I, yeah you know? exactly. I was just going to say it is it is that continuation of of a career once once uh, all of the horrors have been released into the world. Uh, yeah. And even going. Yeah, I, I, oh, sorry. Oh, sorry. No, go for it. Oh, I would say, I mean, that's that's an important thing to consider is like what kind of reparations and apologies has this person made? You know, I, I keep I keep going back to the Louis C.K. Uh, example. That's just because he's been coming up in the news. I feel like every several months over the last year and a half. Yeah. Um, and we've talked about him extensively on the podcast, but you know, like he basically hit out for a year and then like basically tried to make a comeback and he, he didn't spend any time trying to like help the woman he victimized or, you know, he, he didn't really do anything to make up for the damage he may have caused. He just kind of hit out and hoped that it would blow over and maybe put out a few, you know, apologies that were clearly, you know, looked over by a, by his, you know, press person and like just kind of hoped people would forget. Uh, no, it, it felt very much like, you know, like if you got into like a, a fight with your partner about something shitty that they did and then they're just like, well, I'm going to go over here and hang out until you're not mad about this dumb thing that I did. Yeah. It's like, no, asshole, you have to actually address the dumb thing that you did. Like yeah. you don't just get to hide in a corner and be like, well, when you're not mad at me, let me know. Well, I'm not mad at you when you have actually, you know, you can't just say you're sorry and then like, or like, I I don't know it feels kind of like very like putting your victimhood or the way that someone has victimized putting it back on you and saying like well when you get over this then we can talk which is bullshit and, and you know also abusive in yeah, a way the most interesting thing about the louis ck um stand-up that uh, came out recently that was leaked about you know he was basically in some clubs in long island uh recording like a a, a sort of a, a, a light set um was that i think the the thing that's always been amazing about Louis C.K. as an artist is I think that he has uh, integrated himself and a persona into his work that is contextually correct. You know, like it, it feels like he's always kind of put himself in the work in, in a certain position that feels appropriate to who he is, like the, the lovable schlub who occasionally thinks dumb thoughts. But mm -hmm. what was unfortunate about that 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 position uh the, that stand-up that came out is that there is this massive context around who louis ck is now and there's been this opening uh, uh this this floodgate that has opened about what we actually thought about that man and unfortunately uh, you know i the the thing that was sort of so baffling about that listening to that piece was that he didn't include the context which which we were all thinking about and i think you know like yeah it, it's almost in a way you know he needed to get up and I don't I guess apologize but but pay reparations to the fact that he has been outed as a person and he needs to if he's going to want to come back and do stand up then that needs to be a formative part of what his stand up is about now because that's what we that's the context with which we think about him right or am I which am would I have been such an no, I agree with you. It would have been such an easy thing, for, in particular, I think, for Louis to do because so much of, I think, what resonated with people is that a lot of his stand-up was self-deprecating, Yeah. right? And so, and what you're hearing now is kind of like, well, fuck it, people hate me, so I'm just going to lean into that, you know? And, like, I'm just going to lean into being, like, the big bad. I'm going to lean into being, like, this, you know, like, the bully, but it, it, it has, like, a more sinister kind of, like, you know, I'm powerful and I have money and so I'm just going to, like you know embrace i'm just gonna like keep doing the bad like the th the bad things that you assume about me as opposed to like i'm a shit human being isn't it funny how i'm shit yeah, yeah. I, I don't know 
<laughs> well, especially because especially because some of his comedy prior to like the you know, the news kind of hit like Louis CK with everyone in Hollywood knew what was actually going on with him. Like that, that was old news. But when it, you know, finally blew up, uh, you know, like it was surprising cause he had these great bits. Like he, I still to this day, love the bit about how like being a woman dating is like dating a bear. Like right, it yeah. might maul you. <laughs> yeah. And that is to this day, one of the most succinct ways I've ever found to explain to men what it is like to be a woman in the world and like to go on dates with like men you don't know and just like interact with men. It's like, yeah, like you're all fucking grizzly bears who might maul me at any second, <laughs> but I'm just going to try and like, hope I don't get mauled. Like it is one of the, the most easy ways I feel like for men to understand what the experience of a woman is. And then when you find out that he was, he was an actual grizzly bear who yeah. was mauling right, he women. He was the fucking like, bear. Oh. Yeah. Like yeah. that's, that's horribly disappointing. And so, you know, it's like, he, you know, he's, he seemed like in so many ways he was someone who got it. And so I don't understand it for me, at least I don't understand why with him in particular, like, again, like, why isn't he, why is he just leaning into being like, well, I'm a piece of shit now. Like it, it, he had so many other avenues he could go with and he's just choosing not to. Exactly. And that even comes from the fact like, so we, we've all sort of, as we've been sort of rightfully condemning him, we've also been saying like, he is in certain aspects of his comedy like a, a a variant of a comedic of a comedic genius right there is a there's a bunch of ways that i would trust in his skill to not only come back but make or try to come back but do it in an apologetic way that's actually helpful for either victims or people adjacent to his like there's there's 100% a way that could have been done he could have taken the time yes. he had off to mm -hmm. do um, to do work to help uh, his victims, help other victims to do something. It's in his his persona is like his public persona previous to these allegations. Like that would all make sense. It would all be quote on brand. But instead, yeah. <laughs> he came back and did. And here's the other thing. A lot of people. I think the conversation about this sort of spun a little bit sideways based on the content of his comedy in this in this Long Island comedy club. Uh. I am a firm believer that you can joke about anything, but you have to be able to do it and have to be a master craftsperson and frame it in a way that makes something funny or does tension release, etc. The bottom line about his set was not only did he not do anything to come back and sort of help the people that or the even the, the group of people that he he victimized, his set was offensive and garbage. Like it wasn't I, I actually I don't know about that. I think uh I think his sit was exactly what Louis does. It's, it's exact but the context around no, his No, I sit disagree has because what Louis does was take stuff that 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 is a sort of what he did. Yeah. Uh well, he took sort of um asinine things that sort of uh everyday stuff like you said sort of the schlubby un like kind of dumb guy and sort of gave it a bit of um what's the word I'm looking for? Sort of I guess intellectualism and then sort of tore it down and broke it down into its smallest pieces. Uh, the stuff he did was, sounded like an old man yelling on his porch. Right. It felt like he was, he was, well, he was punching down, which is, I think what, that's the thing is like, he had so much goodwill. You're right. There are so many different ways that he could have people. I think people wanted to believe Yep. part of the reason why he was able to get away with this for so long is because people didn't want to believe that like, that that guy that they saw on stage joking about this stuff was actually that person. And so people ignored it for a really long time. And then when it came out, like he had every opportunity to just, and he had a lot of goodwill. People kind of assumed he was like this woke, like liberal dude. And for him, if he just like, you know, leaned into that, like, Hey, you know, I super duper duper fucked up. But the way he came back was basically being like, you're all a bunch of like dumb assholes for not getting how funny I am. Yep. Like, And yeah, that wasn't, exactly. 
you know, and that wasn't who he was before. Like before he was like, I'm the dumb asshole because yeah, yeah. I, you know, I recognize this about myself and I know it's bad. And like, you know, and like, you know, maybe I'm working at it. Maybe I'm not. But like, at least I'm like, I'm putting myself down. Now mm-hmm. he's putting us down. Yeah. So I, I'm curious then, you know, to come back to the topic of of um, of this of separating art from the artist. Uh, as a functional exercise, as pop culture commentators, as critics, you know, like, do you think that that approach has ever benefited you? Or, and I'm, I'm, I, by the title of your podcast, I'm going to say no. But um, <laughs> do, do you think? Do you think? Do you think that is actually a value, a, a sort of a, a a worthwhile approach to thinking about cultural criticism? To to look at Roman Polanski's or to look at Rosemary's Babies without looking at Roman Polanski. I don't think you can have the conversation with one, about one without the other, right? Particularly when there are these people with long careers who have been really influential. Yeah. Like, yeah, people have, like, Roman Polanski has influenced a ton of filmmakers, and that is, you know, important and valuable, and we would not have a lot of the cinema we have today without him, probably. But, you know, like, yeah, Rosemary's Baby is an amazing... Again, we keep using Rosemary's Baby. Let's just keep doing it. Let's just keep doing it. It's a great movie. Yeah, Yeah, it's it's a great movie. Um, But, you know, like, I guess... I I think it's irresponsible to not have the conversation when you know that a person who created something great has these issues in their personal life. I think that's a disservice to their victims. I think that's a disservice to other creators. Yeah. Um, And, you know, like, nothing exists in a vacuum. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like everything is influenced by everything else. And the same person who, you know, raped a child also made this amazing film about like how women have no agency over their own bodies. Right. And that's, I mean, you know, there's some implications there, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think the reason I, I bring that up is that this, in thinking about this topic, I, I kind of noted that we only tend to have this conversation in the negative. So when someone's done something bad, we 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 start talking about separating art from the artist mm. and and how to like pull those two things apart. But when someone does something great, uh, we sort of are happy to kind of associate that individual and the great thing they did with their art, right? Like so, if uh, if for example, and it, this is a weird example because it's a it's a backhanded one. Uh, but this always happens around around, and th- this person is problematic in so many ways. And this this oh, whole I'm convers- so interested to in what you're saying. I this, have no this, idea where this is going. This whole conversation <laughs> is a, is kind of like a hall of mirrors, by the way. But but uh, whenever a Tom Cruise movie comes oh! out, whenever oh, a Tom oh. Cruise movie comes out, you will often see in most media outlets stories about things that Tom Cruise has done that are kind of amazing. You know, like these stories about how he saved a person from being trampled during a press conference or how he jumped out of a plane and broke his leg but kept on running. You know, you like... And and I think... He's we, just got a good publicist. He's got, yeah. he's got an amazing I mean, yeah. publicist. But I think, you know, like... if Okay, so let's take Tom Cruise out of the equation. But when, when we hear about peop, artists who create work that we like do amazing things, we're, we're always quite happy to then implicate their art into who that person is. But it's only when they do something negative that that we want to we start having this conversation about separation. Well, I mean, I think I, I'll just speak for yeah. for me. Uh you're 100% correct. Like what is it? Like Benedict Cumberbatch like stopped a mugger. So we're like, "Oh, yay!" or yeah, like something like that. But like 
when it's a negative thing, what we're trying to do by distancing the art from the artist is protecting <laughs> our own. My, I'll, I'll say our me, own morality. My own, no, not yeah. even morality. My own feelings towards a thing, because the thing, my feelings towards said movie haven't changed really. Uh, until they start seeping in more and more. So if I can just separate myself just enough away from this, I can still enjoy this thing. Like that's sort of like my real, like my you know inner dumb child right. trying to justify it. It's wholly selfish. You're, at, I mean, that's the thing. I mean, at least it is for me. I don't want to speak for everyone, but, but again, that's like I think that that's partly why we're doing what we're doing. Is like we're trying, like it's like little fun baby steps in holding ourselves accountable. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Do you know what I mean, yes, yes. <laughs> it's like the easiest way of doing and like i I mean i don't want i don't mean to diminish that because i feel like at least for me like just having done this fun exercise has been transformative for me as a person like it just kind of it built like it strengthens that muscle that accountability muscle personal accountability muscle in that way when you consume media but yeah i mean like of course we do that because it feels good right like yeah (laughs) um and it it I don't, I don't know that I feel super strongly that, like, if there's somebody that I love and they get, like, good press, that it makes me love their work more. It's, I mean, it's just kind of like confirmation bias, right? You're like, well, I knew I loved them, and so this just adds to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Terry Crews very much is that person for me, right? right. Like, yep. every yeah. time he, like, tweets something super, super rad, I'm like, oh, God, I just love Terry Crews. Give him um, all the but jobs. I feel, <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, but I... I I don't know that like, I don't know, and maybe this isn't what you're positing, but I, I feel like if something horrible came out about Terry Crews tomorrow, it would be painful, but I would believe it. Do you right. know? Right. Yeah. I would say, A, I love that you brought up Tom Cruise because our episode that's posting tomorrow is Top Gun. <laughs> Top yeah. Gun. Yes. So we, we just spent a lot of time talking about Tom Cruise. Wow. Um, and, you know, like we we do have a segment that very occasionally we do on the show where we call them surprisingly not problematic, where we kind of take a minute to like praise someone who has done something good and noteworthy and has kind of gone above and beyond to like be a good ally or something. And I know um, John Oliver got a shout out at one point for um, it was that panel where he's real he- Dustin Hoffman. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Uh, and I mean, like John Oliver is just doing amazing work on last week tonight yeah. Yeah. anyways. And, but you know, like when I find out someone is doing things like that, I want to engage with their work more because I'm like, yes, this is like the voice we need. This is the kind of content I want. I'm going to engage with this more. So I get more of it. Cause you know, like where your money goes and where your views go matter when studios and networks are looking at, you know, what TV shows are they going to renew? Like what movies are they going to release? That kind of stuff like that matters. And so like, yeah, like if someone is rad and doing rad things and I also happen to like their work, I'm going to engage with it more. And I think, yeah, Kristen's right. It is a little self-serving, but it's nice to enjoy good media and have, you know, a relatively clean conscience also. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I, I guess the reason I, th- uh, the sort of the next extension I thought about that, um, and this is where, I kind of burrow myself into a weird rabbit hole that I think I'm not sure I I'm not sure how I feel <laughs> about this. Exactly. You know what I mean? I think this is a, an ongoing problematic conversation for myself personally. But for example, my understanding of Roman Polanski growing up. And I I'm, I'm just bringing back Roman Polanski because that's a sort of a point for me. It's not it's not the the reason we're here or anything like that. Um, <laughs> but Rosemary's Baby is great. Yeah. Well, the thing I mean it is. Yeah. The thing the thing about Roman Polanski and I guess the reason I started thinking about this topic in the way that I started thinking about it is to do with the totality of someone's life. And and what is the total experience of someone's life? And uh, at this stage the 
you know, up until up until Rosemary's Baby, the narrative around Roman Polanski is that he was a Holocaust survivor, an orphan, uh, an orphan child who ran around um, in in war torn Poland um, after his family was killed, and and made himself uh, and managed to get away from Poland and was adopted and made and decided to channel his his sort of abandonment into his artwork and made these amazing films like Knife in the Water, Repulsion, um, The Fearless Vampire Kills, which isn't that great, but... <laughs> uh, and then, you know, like Rosemary... <laughs> and then eventually culminating with Rosemary's Baby. And then the story after Rosemary's Baby has to do with his victimhood because, uh, you know, the narrative, the, the story that we were all uh, might be acutely aware of is that his entire family was murdered by, um, by uh, Charles Manson. Um, his pregnant wife was murdered by Charles Manson at his home. And so the films following Rosemary's Baby, for example, Chinatown, uh, there's a sort of a pretty powerful scene in Macbeth, which is a murder. We frame it in his victimhood. Um, but then, of course, in I believe it was 1979 or whatever, whenever the whenever he was uh, caught, um, you know, for molesting a young girl, the narrative switches over his life. Um, and there's an interesting story about that event, um, which was in a documentary called Wanted and Desired. Um, and the thing that was interesting in that doc that documentary has actually been withdrawn from public consumption now because um, oh. one of the prosecutors in that documentary admits that the reason Roman Polanski is in jail uh, w was was sought by American uh, extradition is not because he wasn't convicted of his crime, but because the attorney general and the judge had made an illicit agreement to to change the rules of his of his uh, prosecution. Oh. So it's actually it's more complicated then we want to give away. Again, I don't want to mitigate anything about uh, I, the girl being, a, you know, she was a 13-year-old girl and he's a 42-year-old man. That is just, you know, not, that is a hard line in the sand. But the reason I bring this up is that when we do this work of separating art from the artist or thinking about separating art from the artist, we think about it in the context of a single event. But mm -hmm. there is a totality of experience that is, that, and I think, if we are as critics going to have this conversation where we are talking about artists, we should in some ways do ourselves, um, we do ourselves a disservice by not f fully understanding the context and, and just reacting to one thing. You know what I mean? And, and I know that that is a, that is an odd response to Roman Polanski and I don't want it to in any way shape the idea that what he did wasn't bad and I, I don't want no one to think about that. I think everyone should be thinking exactly about that. But I No, I, I think I, I hear you. Um I think this is something that I've been thinking about a lot actually, uh, in the context of, of R. Kelly. Uh, right. And so someone who has been accused of something very similar <laughs> to uh Roman Polanski. Um and you know, like I, I watched that, you know, six part documentary about um, R. Kelly and the first part deals with his own trauma and deals with the fact that he himself was sexually abused. Right. And so and it doesn't ever like it's never like presented as like this is an excuse for his behavior or like, you know, and I think that it, like a lot of people kind of already stand to that, understand that folks who end up being abusers are typically people who have already who have themselves experienced abuse right mm, right um and so that like and it's not it's not so much that it's a mitigating circumstance i think that you can understand that about a person and also like understand that that the way that you know they moved forward from that was you know criminal and awful and un and unhealthy um but i think it's i think that it's a good thing to talk about i think it's important to talk about because a i think it kind of helps you 
just like what helps society in general kind of like understand how to best help people to let to like kind of head off (laughs) that that uh the negative um what's what i'm looking for the, the, the negative like expression of that like yeah. for like someone who has been victimized like if we can understand that most people who are predators were first victims yeah. and we can talk about that and like understand it and not just go no they were born a monster yeah. then it helps us like not make more monsters <laughs> yeah well and i mean something Kristen and i talk about a lot on the podcast is like we all contain multitudes, right? Like you can be a person who does good things and also does really terrible things. Like the two aren't mutually exclusive. I know like um, the Bill Cosby rape allegations were really rough for me because I loved the Cosby show growing up. He was America's dad. And like Claire Huxtable is one of my early feminist icons. And it's really hard kind of, you know, Uh, grappling with the fact that like this man created this character who like was so formative for me uh in in such a positive way but also he did these horrible horrible things and like well and the the real work he did to help black people right like i mean like the number of like black comedians and like and the number of black people he's into school probably could fill a college right like Mm -hmm. so yeah you're right like you people do contain multitudes and so i think that like i I don't know it kind of feels like we've gotten away from this idea that we can hold more than one thought in our head at once right like it has to be this or that it has to be black or white i think that was the theme of of 2018 uh (laughs) the 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 interesting thing that i sort of when when i attack a thing like the topics we're discussing and the people that we're discussing and i don't know if this is correct i go back and forth on on whether or not this sort of uh system i've built to keep myself sane is correct um, but it's kind of based uh, chronologically for me. Mm. So let's say, um, let's go, uh, it doesn't even matter. Uh, you, uh, uh, a director that I like uh, is accused of something truly atrocious. Okay, I found that out, uh, you know, a year ago. Therefore, since then, I have not engaged or actively done anything with that person's stuff. But I also tried for my own sanity and for the things we've all just sort of said, all three of you just sort of said about, like, human beings do contain multitudes. So in that, (laughs) it sounds weird to say honoring that, but I'll say that, like, honoring that theory or honoring that fact or however you want to put it, not necessarily the person who's problematic, but the fact that people are... Uh, are, are a, a multitude of, 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 of images of themselves, uh, I will then sort of be okay with, you know what, as long as I'm not actively helping this person continue their nightmare fuel, then I'm okay depending on what it is. If, if, I, can, if I can do the mental gymnastics to get past the act and still enjoy their art, I'm okay with sort of engaging with the art of them previous. Now, uh, I know even I said in the beginning that I've, I have not really been able to do that with a lot of people, even with my Kevin Spacey analogy. I can't really go back and watch. Like, I love Baby Driver. I can't watch Baby Driver. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, like, uh, it, it, I guess what I'm saying is that's the kind of thing I want to be able to do. And that's what I've tried to sort of strive for. That's my like cold logic sort of way that I've sort of done the weird human math in my brain. But that's not how emotions work. And uh, <laughs> you know, I I do I wrestle with that all the time because we since we can't it seems and I'm guilty of this <laughs> so much uh, have more than one thought in our head. Like we need to compartmentalize. Uh, the human brain needs to put things in groups, or else we seem to just fry ourselves 
and uh, it's it's strange, and I and I wish that wasn't the case, and I, I I feel like conversations like this help us sort of work through that. Yeah. So I, I you know, and just piggybacking off that, um, I think the the issue there is that I think the we can't control as cultural commentators, as critics, as people who consume art, we can't control. Uh, what people do in you know outside of our sphere of control. So we can't control what Louis C.K. does. We can't control what Kevin Spacey does. We can't control uh, what you know these terrible people or even good people do. Uh, but what we can do is have nuanced, complicated conversations where we acknowledge, I think, the the merits and demerits of of a person's work and life, and and do it with I think. Uh, you know, I think I think the two things I'm pointing at here is that, uh, uh, and and again, I feel like I'm in a, a weird place here, but like acknowledging the victims of the crimes, but acknowledging also the totality of the person who might be committing that crime, especially when we're looking at a larger a large body of work. Um, and I have a very specific example that I think I want to bring up as we round out this discussion, and it has it doesn't come from art at all, Do but I? Uh, but I, you know, because ultimately I think. The way we we do this is, you know, we are we are ultimately making a calculus on on this person and their art, and I think the thing that I found problematic, you know, particularly in the cases of someone like James Gunn, uh, who was the director of Guardians of the Galaxy and who was mm-hmm. fired from his position because of some tweets that he wrote in uh, 2010 or whatever. I think the 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 thing I find problematic about these conversations is that they are knee jerk and they are responding to immediacies of you know of individual responses, which on the surface I think are you know the right way to respond. When you hear someone say something terrible, you should respond negatively. But I think as commentators, we should be able to take a step backwards or back and and kind of talk about this in a in a you know and hopefully in a thoughtful and nuanced way. Right. Um, that allows us to as you guys have all said, hold more than one thought in our heads at once. I think the 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 James Gunn thing is interesting. Um and it's it's what I would consider and if anyone has further inf- I've done a decent amount of research into that particular case because I'm uh, MCU shill. Uh but the uh that is sort of uh, an example of James Gunn had uh, terrible tweets from 2010. James Gunn three times over before this actually blew up and he got fired, had apologized for them, had tried to make uh, 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 sort of tried to move forward and um, and done a, a sort of a lot of sort of tried to do good things to counterbalance that. You can even see the growth of James Gunn in his work between the stuff he was making in 2010 and say a Guardians of the Galaxy and even into Guardians of the Galaxy 2. Like you, you see a man who understands he came from kind of a problematic place and he changed himself for the better. But the way the internet kind of works is that wasn't necessarily like allowed to happen. And then the the wrong people got the right information at the wrong time. <laughs> I, do, 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 yeah, oh, sorry, I, I, yeah, I, I totally agree. I, you know, in general, I am not a, a fan of this, like, let's dredge up some tweets from like 2012 and yeah. throw someone under the bus. Um, like, God, I hope no one ever finds my Zanga from high school because I'm sure that's just a treasure trove of problematic content. And I know, I mean, like, even, like, as we've done the podcast over the last year and a half, like, there are, like, sometimes people are like, oh, I'm starting at your first episode. I'm like, maybe don't do that. (laughs) (laughs) Just because, like, I know Krista and I have learned and grown 
like just by nature of doing this podcast. And so, yeah, there's some stuff on those earlier episodes that like I would really love to go back and like rephrase or change my opinion just because I didn't know better. Um, But, you know, it's all a it's all a learning experience for us. Um, And, you know, like the knee jerk reaction you're talking about, that's that's exactly what we're trying to get away from with our podcast. That's Uh, literally why we started it. Yeah. Yeah. Like we wanted to have nuanced conversations about these things because they're complicated and it's important to spend the time thinking about them. Yeah, absolutely. I, and I, I, by the way, I hope uh, I didn't make it sound like I was saying you guys were knee jerk in any way. I think your podcast is is exactly the example of the kind of nuanced conversations, uh, we can be having about artists. Um, you know, and, and, and I think, you know, uh, I guess maybe this is coming up to my, you know, uh, final-ish thoughts about this, but obviously let's continue the conversation. But I, I, I was trying to think of what the purpose of separating art from the artist has to do. And I think, Matt, you kind of mentioned this earlier, which is that it has to do with um, with the calculus that we all make in terms of protecting ourselves. Self-preservation! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. And... I, I started thinking about that in much, much broader terms. And I, I wanted to think about it in really broad terms because ultimately art is a, is a sort of um, voluntary, you know, in most, in most cases, a voluntary consumption. We choose to engage. In <laughs> we're it, not we, clockwork origin this. We're, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're not yeah. having to <laughs> sit down for the Ludovico technique. Um, but, but the one, so the, and I think that that calculus has to do with, Ultimately, and, I, and I'm phrasing this in the, in the words of my three-year-old, uh, which is that, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> is this person a good guy or a bad guy? Ah. Um, which is kind of how my three-year-old phrases everything right now. Um, yeah. but Wait, what did you tell him about me? Uh, oh, definitely bad. Uh. Definitely bad. <laughs> the worst. <laughs> Uh, no, but the 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 uh, the, convers- the the person I kept thinking about was a, a story I'd heard many years ago uh, uh, on a Radio Lab episode, and then I've read a, a couple of uh, articles and books about him recently. Uh, since uh, is a is a uh, a chemist by the name of Fritz Haber. Hmm. Have I- any of you heard of Fritz Haber? No. So. No. Fritz Haber is a German scientist from uh, the early nineteenth century, um, around uh, who. Basically, without whom none of us would exist today. Uh, Fritz Haber um, uh, pioneered a process which allowed us to uh, uh, extract fertilizer from the air, which was something that uh, wasn't able to be done prior to his doing. It's called the Haber-Bosch process. And again, if I sound like I know what I'm talking about, it's because my wife is a scientist <laughs> who has like made sure that I understood all the science uh, in all of this before I got on this podcast to talk about it. Um, Good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, uh, the the, the Haber-Bosch process basically allows you to, with, uh, to extract nitrogen from the air um, with minimal resources. And uh, there's an estimation by uh, uh, a governing science body that has said that uh, at the time that he developed this process, um, uh, the population was uh, estimated to top out at around 2 billion people. It was at 1.7 at the time. But there was, a, there was no way that human life could sustain um, the food needs of more than 2 billion people. Mm-hmm. But because of his invention... Uh, we are now at the point where we have 7.8 billion people on the planet, and it's directly related to this particular invention, which sustains food for, which is is still the primary process for how food is pr- produced and sustains our population uh, to this day. Okay. Uh, so it's the the one of the single most uh, important technological advances that is uh, that has created the growth of our species. At the same time. Fritz Haber uh, was a devout patriot of Germany. 
And uh, I figured this is where this was going. Yeah. In 1912, <laughs> he joined. Uh, he he um, campaigned to join the, uh, the the German war effort and pioneered chlorine, gla- uh, chlor- chlorine gas mm-hmm. as a as a weaponized form of uh, uh, of destruction, basically. Um, um, if any of you have ever read the poem uh, "Dolce Decorum Est" by Winfred Owen, they basically talk about how devastating or how painful it is to die by chlorine glass, uh, chlorine, chlorine yeah. gas. Um, yeah. and he, uh, Fritz Haber was, uh, not only, uh, I guess in terms of holding two thoughts at once, he was willingly trying to solve the popular, uh, the, the problem of feeding the world at the same time as willingly trying to find the most painful way to kill people. Um, and it is estimated that, uh, that through his, uh, innovations in chlorine gla- uh, gas warfare, uh, the the death of hundreds upon hundreds of thousands of people happened. In fact, and this is not an extension of him, but um, one of his innovations was then repurposed into zyklor gas, which is what they used in uh, concentration camps to exterminate people. Holy cow! So the 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 thing that I kind of am thinking about with Fritz Haber is this idea. I guess I've I've already summarized it, but the totality of a person's life, which is that mm-hmm. he is directly responsible for. You know, uh, seven billion, or no, five billion lives on this planet, but also directly responsible for the death of hundreds of thousands of people in the worst possible way, knowingly. And and I think that is a sort of an interesting answer to that question: Is he a good guy or a bad guy? Which is the question my 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 son asked. Which is that there's no real clear answer to this question. I'm, yeah, it's one of the. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was just going to say. Well, I'm definitely not going to watch his stand-up special. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, yeah, fuck that uh, guy. Yeah. But, <laughs> <laughs> that was my wonderful thought. What were you saying? I'm sorry. No, I think I, it totally makes sense. Um, not to like kind of like veer off into pseudoscience here, but like from like an evolutionary standpoint, uh, an evolutionary behavioral standpoint, that like we put people into good and bad boxes, right? Like that person is bad and dangerous and that person is good and I can interact with them. But I actually think that's at the root of a lot of like why we can't get past some of the biggest issues that we have in this world today. Yeah. For instance, I just finished this really incredible book um, called White Fragility by this woman named Robin DiAngelo. I I know that book. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's an excellent book. And she talks about like part of the reason why we can't like, it's so difficult to have conversations around topics of race is because you know, like most decent people go like a racist person is a bad person. Right. And so that way, when you confront someone who is a good person about racist behavior, what they hear is I am a bad person or like you're telling me I'm a bad person. I know that I am not. And so they immediately go on the defensive as opposed from starting from this like worldview of like, no, this is just the society that I was socialized into. And I had no choice but to kind of internalize that stuff like everyone else. And so part of my goal is to actively do better, like actively distance myself from white supremacy and distance myself from like a a privileged white identity right um and and i think that she gets to a really good point there which is that if you go around framing everyone if you put a label on them and that label is good or bad um you're not you're well you're making it really hard for them to kind of like to you're making it almost automatically puts them on the defensive yeah and and you can, and there are good people who do bad things. Yeah. <laughs> All of us are good people who have done bad things. Every last one of us, right? And the difference is, 
you know, are we going to try to get better? Are we going to try to atone for the bad things that we've done? Are we going to like actively work to like seek out those places within ourselves and to remove that, those parts of ourselves? Um, but when you frame everything in such a black and white way, you're, you're not helping anything really. Yeah. You know, and that doesn't mean that people don't like, don't deserve to suffer consequences. Of course, if you've done something that has been harmful to someone, I, you know, like, although I have like very complicated thoughts about like the idea behind like prisons and jails anyway, but like, I think that there's such a thing as like, you know, it is, it's, it's okay for there to be a punitive measure there. If you have done something that has actively harmed someone, but that doesn't make someone necessarily like we don't get to put them in the irredeemable box and then just like forget about them. Right. Like, are they, do, do they want to get better? Do they want to learn? Do they want to, you know, like rejoin in a society in a positive way. I think if they say no and their actions say no, then that's a different discussion. But we can't just automatically break one way or another. It doesn't help anything. No, yeah. I agree. Uh, Shahir, real quick, just to sort of help me compartmentalize this particular <laughs> scientist that we're talking about. Did, did was the nitri uh, the 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 food the fertilizer creation process was that before or after developing chemical weapons? Uh, I believe it was before. Oh, that sucks. <laughs> See, I, and you were thinking it was like a, a means of atonement. <laughs> well, for instance, like I didn't know if he was like a rogue, basically Nazi scientist, and then felt incredibly like the the as much weight as he possibly could about the monstrous things that he did. But, but he's but like did this thing. But he, that's like me I, building I a convenient what, narrative. I understand what you're doing there, which is that you're trying to find a narrative within the chronology in order to make your make. Yeah, the, I'm trying make to make it, myself feel okay. And I think what I'm saying is, <laughs> I what I'm saying is, doesn't matter when he did it. In my weird way, mm -hmm. in my weird logic-based way that I talked about before, that I want myself to function, it does. Of course, it doesn't. <laughs> like that, just I, I can't do that. Right. But that won't mean that I won't still. Again, because uh, I am a human, I will keep rallying to try to do the thing I know will never work. Uh, to Kristen's point about talking about punitive damage in criminal uh, in crime, I, I just read a book called Just Mercy: The Story of Justice and Redemption by Brian Stevenson. Did it, anyone? Yes, I just bought that, but I have not read it. It's an absolutely <laughs> incredible book. Um, it's really, really worth a read, and uh, it's being made into a movie as well. Um, oh. But uh, Brian Stevenson has this one quote, uh, which I think is, it's not. Again, I feel like I've steered this conversation into sort of a very specific way of looking at things. Into a specific you, Roman Polanski way of looking. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but and I don't. This is basically I, the Roman Polanski podcast. I, I, I don't want to make it about just the way I look at things because I think there's a you know this is obviously based on multitude of way of people look at things. But his uh, Brian Stevenson's quote is: if "Each one of us is more than the worst thing we've ever done," um, and I think that is sort of. I guess where I would come from when looking at, you know, I guess canceling culture and and thinking about uh, art versus artist, you know, and 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 how we do that separation if we need to. Um, but but similarly, one of the most powerful experiences I had uh, this year was after seeing Nan I, I saw Nanette like two or three times this year. I think it's I think it's uh, I'm I'm sad that we didn't review it on the podcast, but I think it was one of the most extraordinary pieces of media to have come out this uh, in 2018. Um, but after seeing Nanette. Um, we both Matt and I uh, went on a uh, uh, on a work trip to uh, Bilbao in Spain, uh, and we went to and we visited the the uh, the Guggenheim Museum there. Mm -hmm. And I saw uh, and and uh, Hannah Gadsby has this like really long monologue about Picasso and Picasso's life and how she just you know rejects Picasso outright because of her his relationship uh, with uh, his mistress, who I believe was seventeen years old at the time. Her name is uh, Marie-Therese Walter, and there was a painting at the Guggenheim 
that uh, was of Marie Thérèse Walter that mm-hmm. I didn't know. And and all of a sudden, the context with which I r- looked at that painting was framed by the conversation that Hannah Gadsby had had in her pod uh, in her in her stand-up special. And I think it was a really powerful experience to not just walk into a museum and look at a painting, you know, thinking about, oh, Picasso, this famous artist that, you know, we all should know about, but really understanding that there's a nuance to this that that I wasn't aware of. And there's an entire story to this person who's in this painting that I would have never considered had I not listened to Hannah Gadsby special. So I think, you know, my, I, I'll hand it over now, but my closing thoughts are, um, your fave is problematic, I think, is doing extraordinary work in terms of giving us the context around artists whom we think are problematic or who are problematic. And the role of cultural critics, I think, is to fuel that discussion, not necessarily by re- outright rejecting the work, but if we aren't going to reject the work, it is our responsibility to do due diligence and to explain the work in the best way we can to our audience so that they can then make that decision. Um, I'll hand it over for you guys. I'll stop proselytizing. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, uh, I guess. I, 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 well, wow. We've been we've been going for a bit. Yeah. Um, a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. A little bit. A yeah. little bit. So, um, uh, Kristen Elizabeth, since we're solving this entire thing uh, in, in this one <laughs> podcast, um, I guess my sort of final question uh, to the both of you is: throughout this conversation, throughout all the hours of conversation that you've had on your podcast about this very specific topic. Um, what is the one thing or or at least a, a thought or a, a thought process that you keep coming back to to sort of like maintain your sanity while also being uh, sort of I, 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 I'm not trying to blow smoke or anything, but sort of like champions of discussion in a weird way. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like what, what do you go yeah. back to like that? I mean, I think I think there's a few things. Uh, one of the things we say a lot on the podcast is when you know better, do better, mm. uh, which means that if someone corrects you uh, or something comes to light that you know is a problem, uh, you know, it's okay that you didn't know before this moment that that was, you know, discriminatory or whatever. But, like, you know now. So act accordingly, correct your behavior moving forwards. If you've harmed someone, apologize sincerely to them for it. You know, like if once, once you know, correct your behavior and it's okay. Like be kind with yourself, I think is the other big thing because we're all learning. Like no one's perfect. Uh, I regularly, the number of times I'm editing an episode and I go, boy, I wish I had phrased that differently, (laughs) uh, is frequent. Let me tell you. And you know, like we're all, we're all learning here. No one's perfect and it's okay to make mistakes. Um, but you know, like be, be conscious of it and just try and do the best you can. And, you know, and, and think critically about what you're doing and, Make sure you're making, I guess, informed decisions at the end of the day. Yeah, I think that's 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 very much it, right? Like, I mean, and I think the other thing, too, is I, I wouldn't say that it was necessarily our goal at the outset, but I certainly kind of feel like, at least personally, is like a little bit of like a mission for us now, which is like to just help people like, again, like strengthen that critical thinking muscle right and like develop that critical eye so that like you that is something that you can bring to the media that you consume and the people um who make it and and hopefully that will like change the landscape moving forward right like if the if the audience is demanding better if 
the society is demanding better from people and better for media and better from artists and, and everyone really, um, that that's what's going to make the difference. But if you can't identify where the issue is, if you can't identify where, what's problematic about it, then you're not going to talk about it. You're not going to, you're not going to call it out. Um, and so in, in that way, and kind of like, you know, not to like, you know, blow this incredibly out of proportion, but in that way it can be kind of like a, a, an effective tool for change, um, generally. Um, and I think that the other thing that's kind of like come up for me a little bit in this conversation, which is something that we talk a lot about separating the art from the artist, but maybe that's not necessarily what we're doing when we're having these cre- these conversations is we're, we're just getting a fuller picture of who the artist is and how that informs what they've done and, and then whether or not we, what it's still a responsible thing to champion and en- enjoy such a thing, but it's not even like separating those two things. It is actually seeing the who that person is in their media and whether or not there has been a shift that's happened. I feel like I'm rambling. Sorry about that. No, 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 no. no, no. no. I, I, that was, that was spot on, Kristen. Yeah. Agreed. I'm glad you said that. That was spot on. Awesome. Yeah. No, a hundred percent. Thanks. Yeah. Uh, and now we have to change the title of this episode, unfortunately, from shipwreck <laughs> artist to mixing artist. Yeah. yeah. Well, <laughs> or, I, I, or not. Or <laughs> not, question mark. Uh, last yeah. last question for the both of you. Um, and I, I, I think, I don't know if this is a tradition on your podcast, but the episodes that I listened to uh, definitely had these. So I'm going to give you this real quick. Oh, no. <laughs> I think I know where we're Ready? Here we go. It's Fuck, sure. Mary Kill. Yes. Okay. Okay. Art. Great, great. Artist. And verses. <laughs> Wait, what? Yeah, how do you do? How do you do anything? To I, you, this is completely subjective. <laughs> I can give you mine. Okay. 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 So I, I think it'll be helpful. Yeah. Okay. Here we go. So I would marry the art because the art is the thing that uh, not only do I probably have nostalgia for if there was something that problematic came about with the artist, but also it's the thing that I can relate to the most. I don't know any of these artists personally, so whatever. Uh, I would fuck verses because that just seems like it would be. It would be a good. It would be energetic at a real good time. And then the last <laughs> one would I would kill the artist because some more discussions that we've been having. Uh, now, I don't think it would ever make the art better, but it would make my enjoyment of it simpler. <laughs> and in my lizard brain, that sounds like a good idea. Okay, I, I think I'm picking out what you're putting down now, and I, I tend to agree with you, which is that like the art is what like stands the test of time, right? So the art is what you marry. The art yes. is like the the good nugget in the center. Um, I think that in almost speaking as an artist, uh, I think in almost every instance it is best to kill the artist, right? And I think that a lot of times when you when the artist doesn't like you, a lot of art is masturbation, and so like if you kill the artist, you're more than likely, especially at the end of the process, you're probably going to end up with like something better, um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> right? Like if you can remove the artist's ego, right? Um, so you kill them, and then like the verses are like you know just because like lyrics can be so moving like it, it, and it's just very sensual generally that that seems like a good thing to fuck so i'm with you on this yeah i think i'm in agreement for like the reasons that like have have been listed um i will add that i think like with the the, the fuck the verses like you wanted little a little adversary a little fun tension yep. so like i think that's a solid i think that's a solid choice right there but yeah like i i too I'm an artist um, and Kristen's absolutely right. Like a lot of times there, there is a point where the artist needs to be removed from the art and just let it stand. And um, some artists are better about removing themselves from the art than others. And so I'm just going to do them the favor and just (laughs) 
take it out. It's about, the artist, it's about the artist knowing the exact time to kill themselves, right? Like, so, <laughs> right, like, you right. want part of the artist in there up to a point. But most artists, like, just are just, they don't have the ability, like, the self-reflection to be able to go, and this is the point where I fucking just stop, right? Yeah. They don't have that. So if, if there's somebody there who could maybe kill them in that moment, that'd be super. If the artist is, like, yeah. really self-aware, they can kill themselves. Yeah. They need to die at some yeah. point. Yeah. I think I'm just gonna yeah. I'm gonna interject with with just uh, just a slight switch, which is that I would fuck the art because that's how I get down, and then I would uh, and I would, close to having a full and then I would marry the verses because I like the idea of like two opposing sides being nuanced and together. Oh, uh, nice. you romantic! <laughs> but uh, I, and I'm not exactly sure if I would kill the artist either. Well, so. you got you got to pick. I, I would like stab the artist okay. and then like. See if they bleed out, and this if is, they didn't, they lived. You, you know, this then. is typical Shahir Mo. He's taking the I thought, mean, pro- the thought uh, experiment, and changing it so he doesn't have to make a decision. I was going to say, talk about nuance. That's great. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah exactly. Anyway, this has been the two hundredth episode. Wow. Yeah. Oh my God! Of the yeah, only podcast wow. about movies, specifically our art versus the artist discussion. Elizabeth, Kristen, thank you so much for coming and speaking with us. Yeah, thanks for having us. This was wonderful. So much fun. Your podcast is both wonderful and fun. Uh, Again, your fave is problematic. Uh, Where can folks find all of that information and and get it in their ear holes as quickly as possible? Uh, If you just Google search, uh, we're on like pretty much all major podcatchers under your fave is problematic. Uh, Just look for the sad heart logo on uh, our cover art. And that's us. (laughs) Uh, You can tweet at us on Twitter. Uh, We're at podcast YFIP. And that's probably the fastest way and easiest way to get a hold of us. Um, we do we do encourage our listeners to join our Facebook group. Um, so once folks kind of kind of dive into the podcast, we encourage them to join that. That's a really lovely community where um, we kind of continue the conversations that we're having on the podcast, and it's been uh, just super super wonderful. Um, and if people just want to find me on Twitter, I'm at the loveliest Liz, and I'm at Annie Wokley. Awesome. Any, oh, that's a great that's uh, a great Twitter handle. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Shahir, when you are not uh, planning episodes like this months in advance, yeah. where can folks find you? You can find me uh, twittering away <laughs> at home uh, in front of my computer reading uh, abstract articles about science that I know nothing about <laughs> uh, at shahirdowd.com. That's S-H-A-H-I-R-D-A-U-D. Matt, when you are not fuck marrying or killing artists, <laughs> where can people find you? You can find me uh, doing one third of those things over at my website, MatthewKroll.com, M-E-T-T-H-W-K-R-O-L.com. For my life and work, Skeletor, the number four, P-R-E-Z, or on Instagram, Emperor M-S-K. Also, you can check out uh, extra credits on YouTube. We are almost at 1.9, or sorry, we're at 1.9 million now. We are about to be at 2 million, hopefully, in the next two months if the algorithm holds so go check that out like subscribe smash that like button i don't know is that what you're supposed to do um sure. yeah yeah why not um and yeah Sounds right. uh again uh elizabeth Kristen, thank, thank you, so, you much. so much and uh we'll uh well i mean everyone will listen to us later and we'll talk to you on the internet i never know how to sign off of these things like we'll see you later yeah. no we won't yeah. uh, we haven't seen you yet yeah so hopefully later but anyway thank right. you and uh yeah see you later everybody bye